It was springtime, the time of year when kings went to battle with their soldiers. King David, however, stayed back in Jerusalem and found himself in a tempting situation. He saw a woman bathing on her rooftop and lusted after her. It was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of his 37 mighty men who was currently in battle fighting for king and country. He took her in adultery and she became pregnant. David sought to cover up his sin and plotted to have Uriah killed while he was in battle by pushing a small group of troops forward and then having all of them retreat. Uriah was left in a vulnerable position and would be killed. It worked. He died. David then took Bathsheba and married her. She became his wife. David was confronted and exposed for his sin by Nathan the prophet. Psalm 51 is the confession of David who feels the full burden of his sin. He felt dirty and he wanted to be clean. Guilt had made him sick and he wanted to be well. Disobedience had made him lonely, and he wanted to be reconciled. Rebellion had made him fearful, and he wanted to be pardoned. Our response to this psalm should be one of thanksgiving as we look to the heart of a man who can show us how to respond appropriately when our sin has found us out. Psalm 51 shows us how to acknowledge our sin, believe that God will hear us when we cry for mercy, confess your sins to God alone, delight again in your salvation, evangelize the world through word and song, and finish well your Christian pilgrimage. First, we see that David acknowledged his sin. Verse 3 says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Psalm 32 is also tied to this uh, same sinful experience that David had, and he actually says, I acknowledged my sin to you. David was a believer. He knew God's word. We remember even in Psalm 1 how David said he delighted in God's word, yet he still sinned. After being confronted by Nathan the prophet, David recognized he had sinned against God. Nathan had spoken God's message to David, and he heard it loud and clear. David knew that he had acted in opposition to God and his word. David had been taught God's laws. David knew what God approved and disapproved of. He was not ignorant of it. He, he was now saying yes I am the one who has sinned. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I, my, me, all these pronouns tell us that David now owned his sin. David was not content to lump, him, to lump himself with the rest of the world as one of many sinners. He isolated himself as if he were the only one. When we sin, it comes from our own nature and is not caused by someone else. Remember Adam and Eve's confession to God whenever he 
met them in the garden after they had sinned, Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And Adam said, the woman that you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. Unlike Adam and Eve, David didn't deny it. He didn't try to cover it up and he didn't blame someone else. David acknowledged his sin and it lay heavy on his heart. David listened to Nathan and heard God speak to him. Let's go back to verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David believed that God would hear and answer his plea for mercy and cleansing. The mercy of God is the undeserved love and compassion of God. Notice that David asked first for mercy in accordance with the steadfast love of God. This love that David was asking for was in accordance with God's loyalty to his covenant with David. God had promised David and Israel that a Messiah would come from the line of David out of the tribe of Judah and would reign as a king forever. The Davidic covenant is unconditional because God didn't make any conditions of obedience for its fulfillment on David or Israel. The surety of the promise made rest solely on God's faithfulness, not on David or Israel's obedience. It is a loving kindness that is completely from God. Old Testament believers realized that they could not appeal to the justice of God, so they appealed to the mercy of God. David cried out with confidence in the steadfastness of God's mercy. We also see that God's mercy is infinitely abundant. There is no exhausting of God's mercy. God's mercy is unmeasurable. David was passionate as he cried out for God's abundant mercy or God's display of his love and compassion because he was in a helpless, hopeless state. He knew God's mercy was infinitely abundant, and he wanted as much of it as God was willing to give. Not only does David cry out for God's mercy, he asks God to blot out his transgressions. Blot means to wipe out or to apply an ink remover to remove any trace of his transgression. David wanted, to God, wanted God to have mercy on him, and he wanted God to remove any trace of his transgression. The phrase, wash me thoroughly, could actually be translated, wash, wash, and wash again. In Shakespeare's Macbeth, Macbeth makes the statement that all the great ocean could not wash his hands clean from the blood of the king that he had murdered. Lady Macbeth, who was also involved in that same murder, also has a famous line that says, the bloody spot on her hand would not go away. David, born over 900 years before the apostle Peter, could have uttered the same request that Peter had to the Lord to wash not just his feet, but his whole body when he was washing the disciples' feet. He felt filthy before God and asked God to do the cleansing that only God could do and make his life a clean vessel. When I was a child, 
I was often told to take a bath because after I had been outside on a long day playing in the dirt, I would have this dark hue to my skin. She would come in, she would tell me to come in and take a bath, and she would, when I was finished, she would inspect my less than thorough job of cleaning, and then she would come in and regularly she would have to tell me where I missed some spots. Not only did she tell me where I missed, then she would take over and start cleaning what I missed. She would scrub on my blackened knees to the point where I was almost crying in pain. Just like I needed my mom's cleansing on those hot summer days, we need God's cleansing. There may be times when it is painful. We cannot cleanse ourselves from our sin. Only God can do that. Another description of the cleansing David desires is stated in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a plant used by the priest in rituals for cleansing and atonement. It was also the same plant that was used like a brush to paint the blood of the sacrificial lamb over the doorpost of the children of Israel while they were as slaves in Egypt so that the death angel would pass over. David wanted God to pass over his iniquity that was deserving of death. David desired an inward purification of the heart that only God could accomplish. Christ is the perfect Passover lamb for all who have faith in his atoning sacrifice. His death on the cross is what cleanses us from sin. In verse 9, David says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David wanted God to hide his face from his sins, but not from David himself. In verse 14, David says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. David had committed murder and adultery, both which were capital sins, offenses that were deserving of death. David knew because of the multiple blood sacrifices that were part of God's statutes that blood needed to be shed for his sin. He knew that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We learned from Romans 3, 25 and 26 that God put forth Jesus as the propitiation by his blood in faith. It shows that God is vindicated to pass over David's sin. Looking forward, Jesus would die for David's sin. David's faith in God's mercy looks forward and unites him to the hopeless, to the redeeming work of Christ. Unbeliever, there is hope for you. You do not need to stay in a hopeless, helpless state. Look back at the cross and have faith in Christ and his blood, the blood of the perfect sacrificial lamb of God, to wash you clean from your sin. Believer, the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, washes away our sins, past, present, 
and future and washes them away as far as the east is from the west. We need to join David and ask God to show Himself in all His glory. Be faithful to His holy character. Do only what He can do and forgive us and cleanse us from our sins. Only God, through Christ, can cleanse us from our sin. David then moved on to the next step of confession. We must confess our sins before God. Let's begin reading again at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash, wash, wash me again from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Confession means to say the same thing that God says about our sin. The Bible is full of passages that tell us what God says about our sin. So I'm going to look up four, and I want you to listen with me. Here's four statements about our sin. Our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Number two, no one does good and never sins. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Boys and girls, listen, this next one is from one of your Awana verses. Romans 10 and 11. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Number three, God's wrath on sin is coming. Colossians 3, 5, and 6 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Sin comes from inside us, number four. Jesus actually said these words out of Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, wickedness, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. We must believe and say the same thing that God says about our sin. Sin is evil in God's sight. David's acknowledgement of his sin and belief in God's mercy was only the beginning. David confessed, against you, you only have I sinned. Didn't David sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and Israel? We would say yes, but in reality, all our sin is against God and God alone. Charles Spurgeon said that the verb in the phrase, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, should be translated in the present tense. Against you only do I sin and do what is evil in your sight. Martin Luther goes on to say, 
I know that before you I am nothing but a sinner. I do nothing but evil continually. My whole life is evil and depraved because of my sin. I can't boast of merit or righteousness. In your sight, this is my character. I have sinned, I do sin, and I shall sin. All our sins are against God. Notice next the wake-up introductory word, behold, in verse 5. Today's word would be, wow! The phrase where David said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me, is not saying that it was a sinful act that brought David into the world, but the indwelling sin is the only thing that we actually bring with us into the world. What David is saying is, this is not a rare occurrence. Sin is the character trait of our birth. We come hungry, naked, and empty-handed into this world. The only rightful possession we have is our sin. Sin is what we all bring into the world. Verse 4b goes on to say, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Not only did David state that he had sinned against God alone, but that God was justified in his pronouncement against David and blameless in his judgment of sin. Like David, we must confess that we sin against God alone and he is justified and blameless in his judgment. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David wanted God to hide his holy face from David's heinous sins, but not from David himself. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Since God cannot look upon sin in his holiness, David knew that he was in danger of being thrown out of the presence of God and experienced the abandonment of the Holy Spirit. Sin separates us from God. David again is pleading in accordance with the covenant that God had established with David when he chose him. David was asking God not to give him what he deserved. David then asked God to give him a pure heart and to want what God wants. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When we have fallen prey to our desires and committed sin, we must ask God to transform us by his power. We must ask with the Apostle Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. God will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as Jesus rose victorious over sin and death and hell, we can be victorious over sin and live a resurrected life. Believer, look up. You can delight again in your salvation. In verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Again, the behold or wow word was used. This time it was to awaken us. The first time it was to awaken us to our born sinful condition. This time we need to be jolted awake 
to realize and believe that God delights in truth in our inward man. God is saying that He does not delight in the sinful character of our original state, the way we were born. He delights in the opposite of our fallen sinful state. We were created to love and worship the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. God delights in truth in the inward being. God looks at men's heart. God told Samuel when he was looking for David as the next king of Israel, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David knew that God looks at the heart. This time, though, David could rejoice because he also knows that God teaches wisdom in the secret heart. Spurgeon said, It is a great blessing to be able to believe that that the Lord will make us know wisdom. The Holy Spirit delights in teaching us wisdom, which results in His truth in our inner man. No one can teach our innermost nature except the Lord. After God has removed our heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, the Holy Spirit can then write His law on our hearts and put the fear of the Lord within us, which is the beginning of wisdom. David was saying, God, I know you delight in truth, and I am thrilled that you want to create truth in me. Wow! Our sin is our fallen character trait. But wow! God wants to take and make His wisdom in our heart our new character trait. David goes on in verse 8 and requests, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David desires to hear joy and gladness. He wants to experience God's presence with his ears and feel it in his heart. He desires for his broken bones to be healed and be able to leap again in rejoicing. He's a broken man, and yet he wants to rejoice again. Our body, either in this life or in the life to come, will again experience joy and gladness, and our broken bones will rejoice. In verse 12, David goes on to request a stable restoration. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David not only wants to rejoice again in God's salvation of his soul, he wants to be firmly established in his spirit. David knew his spirit was inclined to waver. We may think that because of our maturity as a believer, we've overcome certain lusts. We may think that because of our maturity, we've gotten into the habit of resisting so that we do not need to fear. We may think that we can even get closer than other people and not fall in temptation. We might as well say that dry gunpowder can get habitually close to the fire and resist and have the power not to ignite. David knew that without being firmly established by the willing Spirit of God, he was easily enticed and like dry gunpowder, could not resist and would explode in sin 
at the slightest spark. Only the Holy Spirit can restore to us the joy of our salvation and establish us firmly against temptation. Notice now how David's restoration results in a motivation to evangelize. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will again return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David had a fixed resolve to teach transgressors your ways. Who better to teach grant transgressors than a fellow forgiven transgressor? We don't need a great theological class to teach us that, number one, we have sinned against a holy God. Number two, that He has forgiven us. And number three, through faith and repentance, He can forgive them too. Your testimony of how God forgave you as a transgressor and what He has done for your soul contains the message to teach to the world of transgressors. Psalm 66.16 says, Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. The salvation of God and the restoration by the Holy Spirit is the only motivation you and I need to be an evangelist. Yeah, I can hear you already. You may say, I don't have the gift of an evangelist. That may be true but that does not exclude you from proclaiming the gospel of the good news. As believers, we have been given the responsibility to proclaim the gospel. David goes on in verse 14b and verse 15, And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David had his sins forgiven by the abundant mercy of God. He had his sin cleansed. He has experienced the restorative work of the Holy Spirit. He is now hearing and feeling the joy of his salvation. His heart is overflowing. He is evangelizing, and he's determined to sing. Christians, sing loudly because you have experienced God's mercy, you have been forgiven. Christ's blood has made you clean. Let the tongue that no man can tame become an instrument of praise. Let your joy and gladness overflow in song and make your tongue an instrument of praise to God. Many of you may recognize this short chorus of praise that's taken from Psalm 89. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. David is still not satisfied with his actions to God yet. Notice what he says in verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. David wants to do more. He wants to finish well. 
you and I need to finish well in our Christian pilgrimage. As we continued in our restored relationship with our Father, recognize, we need to recognize with David that there's no longer a need for blood sacrifices. What then should be our path to finish our Christian pilgrimage well? The one-time-for-all-time atonement of Christ is eternally sufficient for the sins of all who have faith in the spotless Lamb of God. So what does God delight in? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God is pleased when we are broken for our sin. The word contrite means crushed or crippled or broken. When coupled with the word heart, it paints a picture of a heart that is crushed by the weight of its own guilt. It describes a heart that stops justifying its wrong choices, is awakened to the depths of its depravity, and accepts God's righteous condemnation of sin. A contrite heart offers no excuses and shifts no blame. It fully agrees with God about how evil it is. A contrite heart throws itself on the mercy of God, knowing that it deserves nothing but the righteous wrath of God. We have seen David experience a dark, depressed time of being crushed in his spirit because of his sin and guilt. We've seen him broken in his spirit to the point of feeling it in his bones. So does that mean that you and I need to stay in a, in a state of mournfulness and depression the rest of our Christian life so that God will be pleased? Of course not. God wants you and your heart and my heart alive. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is telling us we have an abundantly merciful God, and you need to present yourself to Him. Here's how to do it. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Remember, David's request was for God to cleanse him and renew a right spirit within him. We must ask God to cleanse us and renew our mind. Our thoughts need to be replaced with God's thoughts. Isaiah 55.9 reminds us, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He must transform us through the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. Preach to yourself. Let the words that your mind hears be God's words. All sacrifices to God need to be holy, pure, and spotless. So humble yourselves, confess your sins to God, put off the old man, put on the new man, and follow the teachings of the Holy Spirit. Offer yourselves as a pure living sacrifice to God. We'll finish well if we understand these last two verses of this psalm. Listen to verse 18 and 19. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David wants to do good to Zion, God to do good to Zion. He wants God to build up the walls of Zion because he knows that will please God. Zion in David's time was a reference to the holy hill in Jerusalem or to the whole city of Jerusalem itself. David wanted to build the temple of Jerusalem for God. and Nathan told him, follow your heart, do it. We know that God didn't let David build the temple, but he prepared for it, and his son Solomon finished it. 1 Kings 3.1 says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished the building, finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the walls around Jerusalem. Well, how do these verses apply to us today? Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 calls Zion the heavenly Jerusalem, the dwelling place of angels, of God himself, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and glorified believers. Believers are said to be like living stones. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says this, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. David says, For you will not delight in sacrifices, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. I believe David was speaking prophetically about God's love for his chosen people, which includes us, the church. God is pleased when his people come to him in prayer, humbled and repentant, and offer their whole lives to him as a living sacrifice. He then transforms them, you and me, us, into holy living stones of his holy temple. What are we to seek? What's to be our prayer? We need to make our prayer and our heart's desire, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Build your temple, Father, using us as your holy living stones. So looking at the last verse, you may be asking, what does it mean then when David says, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David just said he knew that God will not be pleased with a burnt offering, yet he still wanted to build God's temple. He believed that God would be pleased without it, but he wanted God's kingdom to be established with all its statutes, which at that time included burnt offerings. We must continue, though, in our reference to the holy Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem. We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Bulls were the most valuable animal for Israel. David was saying, don't just bring a grain offering. Don't bring a pigeon. Don't bring a dove. Don't even bring a goat or a lamb. 
Bring a bowl. Don't just offer part of it. Offer all of it. Believer, when we offer our works of service to God, we are to bring our very best. We are to bring our very lives as living sacrifices to God. We need to bring our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. This means all of our love, all of our energy, all of our money, all of our time, and all of our thoughts. Bring yourself as a bull. Offer your whole self to God. We need to finish well. When we are drawn away by our desires and enticed, when the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life cause us to sin, don't stay there. Turn to Psalm 51. Acknowledge your sin before God. Believe that when you cry out, that God will hear and answer you with His mercy. Confess your sin to God alone. Delight again in your salvation. Evangelize the lost world. And finish well in your Christian pilgrimage. Know that He wants to teach you wisdom. He wants to restore you to joy and gladness. When He does this, and He will... Resolve like David that you will tell the world what he has done for you and what he can do for them. Present your whole self as a living sacrifice before God, praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that he would transform you and me into holy living stones for the new Jerusalem. There is no greater joy. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.